0: Welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, Katie. And that's it. It's just me and Mike today. How's it feel in that studio, Mike? Kind of lonely?
1: It's... Actually quite pleasant, you know, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. There's a lot more oxygen than usual now that Richard's not here gulping really it all up. S-
0: stretch around that table.
1: Well, Richard is an oppressive uh, figure in a lot That's of ways. That's true. Looming, know you know. About him. He's, just, he's just mean. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Kidding. No, I'm sad. This is not cool. I don't like this and I don't want it to happen again
0: definitely a temporary state of things. Richard is on vacation and Joanna has lost her voice. She's is a she got one of the best radio voices there is and uh, can barely speak, which is a shame because this is a week that her uh, ex- very exciting Marvel cover story came out, uh, which hopefully everybody has read. I, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you are a big Joanna fan, as we are. Uh, so we'll have to catch up with her next week to kind of get some of her details. And there's a lot of extra stuff from her reporting that's running on the site this week. So
1: Yeah, by the way, for those of you who need your Joanna fix right now, go to her AMA. Uh, on Reddit. She was really great. She answered all kinds of awesome questions. But I think it doesn't make sense, Katie, for you and me to talk about this. Let's just come back when Joanna has her voice back. Uh,
0: well, a good thing is that this is a really busy time for awards. There's a lot going on this week. The Gotham Awards are on Monday, where Call Me By Your Name won the top prize. And then the New York Film Critics Circle, which includes Richard, will be voting on their awards later this week. I think as you listen to this, they've probably already been announced. And then on Tuesday, the National Board of Review, which is one of my favorite kind of mysterious cabals of award season, announced their winners for the best films of the year, which is they're really one of the first ones out of the gate and give you a sense of what some level of the critical and Hollywood community is thinking about this year. Mike, what took you by surprise with the NBR this year?
1: Well... Baby Driver, which I enjoyed while watching it on a plane after Ooh. having two or three drinks.
0: <laughs> a I don't plane's know a tough th- way to watch that.
1: I'm not sure I would put it in the in my one of my top ten of the year. I, I would put the soundtrack maybe at the top one of the year. Mm. But uh, but anyway, a bold move with a big Kevin Spacey part, and yeah. And, and so let's just read them off. Baby Driver, Call Me by Your Name, not surprising. The Disaster Artist. Downsizing, maybe a little surprising. Dunkirk, not surprising at all. The Florida Project. Get Out, good to see there. Lady Bird, good to see there. Logan, kind of surprising a little, maybe. Mm -hmm. And Phantom Thread, which uh, no one's allowed to talk about yet.
0: Oh, yeah. So they do their top 10 films of the year, and then they actually name their best film of the year, which isn't on that list, which is weird. But uh, their top film of the year was The Post. And they also, they also gave uh, Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep the Best Actor and Best Actress prize, which is really, for the NBR, they usually kind of famously spread the wealth among all their prizes. That's really going in hard for a film for them.
1: Well, and who is, who are, who is the NBR?
0: Oh, what a good what a good question! Uh, they describe themselves as a group of New York area uh, academics and film enthusiasts and filmmakers. Uh, the only person who I've ever known to be in the NBR kind of joined as a college student. Um, so it's they're kind of mysterious, even more so than the Golden Globes. But I think their taste tends to be a little off the wall sometimes, as evidenced by like Baby Driver. Or, you know, for a while they really went for Clint Eastwood movies all the time. But they tend to be pretty in tune with uh, both critics and the Academy to some degree. I mean, I think we can agree we see a lot of have heavy contenders in this group.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And look, I know we're not supposed to do formal reviews of the post until December 6th, but I did see it last night and I can tell you that it moved immediately to the top of my list of best picture and Meryl moved to the top of my list for Best Actress. I think that, that those things are very likely to happen.
0: Yeah, we hinted at this last week because uh, Richard had seen him, but wasn't around, allowed to talk about it and kind of started speculating about what happens if Meryl really moves heavily into an Oscar race. I mean, it would be her fourth Oscar if she were to win this time, which is not, you yeah. know, Catherine Hepburn won four Oscars. It's not impossible. But, I mean, Mike, as someone who's seen the movie and clearly liked it, like, does that feel exhausting to you or exciting?
1: You know, it's interesting. I mean... I think it may weirdly be comforting to people hmm. I mean I don't know we're, we're we're talking on a day when Matt Lauer has just been taken down, fired by NBC for sexual harassment so there it it, it remains to be seen if this kind of wholehearted celebration full throated celebration of the press you know feels Really great and and reassuring and encouraging to the liberals who make up the, the majority of um, the academy, or if people are actually like, you know, what this is kind of bullshit to overly celebrate a press that ultimately has a lot to answer for in the last in the last twelve months, right? Because hmm. we've seen a lot of media figures go down. Yeah. But Trump, and again, not to go too into politics, but this is a very political film and it is about journalists taking on the administration and also taking on corporate interests and basically standing up, c- collecting the courage to stand up to an administration that is lying. Right. And at that remember remember, the, the funny thing about the 70s versus now is that it was like really shocking that the administration was lying and it was a big deal. You know, Trump this morning then tweets out a few things attacking additional people at NBC with no seeming regard for his own history of, you know, uh, accusations of sexual misconduct. So I don't know. We're in such a crazy moment. But I think clearly and Mark Harris kind of wrote about this a bit in, in New York magazine. Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to him about this soon. But clearly, politics are inseparable from the awards race this year. Promise, I'm going to come back to Meryl Streep here, but but it really is starting to shape up that like you've got the kind of First Amendment with a si- strong side of feminism movie in the post. You've got the kind of let gay men be in love movie in Call Me by Your Name, but with a slightly distressing side of underage uh, relationship. You've got the kind of African American kind of paranoia revenge fantasy in in get out in the best way possible. I mean that in the very best way possible. And then you've got Lady Bird, the kind of female mother and daughter coming of age story that, that really stands for like women telling their own stories, right? Those to mm-hmm. me seem like the kind of, if you wanted to just, if you wanted to, and I think we will see this, pair each movie, each big contender up with, oh, and sorry, in Dunkirk, the kind of stiff upper lip, it's still possible to have a society that functions despite <laughs> uh, you know, really horrifying forces outside of your control. Yeah. So th- th- those are kind of, to me, how everything's kind of lining up. And so I don't know, like this one is the most get you out of your seat, pumping your fist in the air. Although some of the, one of the people who was in the movie just thought, actually, it's a little bit clumsily made, but I I didn't feel that, but I kind of know what they mean. It's, 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 it's not, it's not an art movie. It's a, it's a movie that will get people riled up.
0: It's a Spielberg movie.
1: It's a Spielberg movie. I just wonder if... I wonder you know if the press is getting damaged enough in in all these allegations and all the sexual stuff that people are not really in the mood to rally around um, around that kind of movie but even then I think frankly there's a sp- Merrill almost I don't know Merrill is a reassuring figure she's a major authority figure she's in she stands for a strong woman there, there's something in my mind and maybe other people's minds where she's sort of a little bit aligned with a Hillary type, but without the baggage of like you screwed up the election and gave us Donald Trump. And I could see I could see Meryl. I could see it not being a big deal that it's her fourth. I could see people just saying we want to give this to Merrill because she represents a strong woman. And that's that's what we need right now. Yeah. Whereas Frances McDormand's character does some really awful things in. um in three billboards spoiler alert but you know she's 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 she's. you're very sympathetic to her but also i think martin mcdonough is kind of testing the limits of your sympathy and uh and not to again go into politics but a a very interesting analysis i heard about the election um the 2016 election is that uh because obviously elections and oscars both involve voting is that women vote based on they apply an empathy test to other women And they say, would I have done that or not? And they don't do it to men and men don't do it to anybody. Um, And so that was one of the things that hurt Hillary is that a lot of women, when the Comey letter came out, said, uh, oh, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have, uh, you know, hid my emails or had a private server or whatever. So I'm not going to vote for her. And so I'm worried for Frances McDormand that there's some there's some things she does, her character does in that movie that women are possibly going I'm, to, I'm, this is not, I'm not trying to denigrate anybody. This is just like a study was done. And this is all happening at a, at an unconscious level, I think probably, you know, but, but if we're just looking at voting patterns and how people behave, I, I'm a little concerned that that character, because it's not hundred percent sympathetic might have some problems for Frances McDormand. Whereas Meryl Streep's character is pretty damn sympathetic, despite being a kind of a rich, rich lady, which is not, I guess the most sympathetic thing.
0: You're inspiring me to look back at the recent list of best actress winners to try to find like a not super entirely sympathetic uh, best actress winner. And I think I've still never seen The Iron Lady, which is Meryl Streep's most recent Oscar win. But I imagine it's not an entirely sympathetic portrayal of Margaret Thatcher because she's Margaret Thatcher. Uh, That's and, true. And then you have Kate uh, Blanchett winning for Blue Jasmine. But for the most part, best actress winners tend to be like Julianne Moore in Still Alice, Brie Larson in Room, Jennifer Lawrence in Silver Linings Playbook. It's a, it's, it's not as easy a space to be kind of a morally complex character the way that best actor is. I think for a lot of the ways, a reason that you're talking about that I think we you know, as a society apply different standards to women, uh, which could be really interesting for Frances McDormand, especially because Meryl Streep is not like the most glad handy of actors. I think she really picks and chooses when she wants to. Be out in the world and when she wants to stay home in Connecticut with Don Gummer. But Frances McDormand right. like really won't do press. Like yes. she did that whole New York Times profile where she was like, I won't be photographed unless you do it for 10 minutes and I wear my own clothes and don't wear makeup and then you leave me alone. So the I mean that could be an interesting factor too, compared with the character of being kind of complicated.
1: Yes. So, so that's another thing is I think Frances is, is likely to not do much campaigning. And even if she does do campaigning, I have a feeling it will be. You know, it will be fine. It will be dutiful. But when Meryl does bless you with her presence, like it's it's meaningful in a big way. Right. We've all we've all seen this. Like she tw- she can turn it on and you feel like you just met, you know, I don't know, somebody that you really admire. The Oprah. <laughs> Oprah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or Beyonce. You know what I mean? She's got that thing going on. Yeah. And by the way, I want to credit or blame or whatever um uh Jay Newton Small, who is uh who's a really great writer, turned uh entrepreneur, and she is the one who who I heard this theory about about voting patterns from. So you know, I'm, I'm not saying this is an iron rule or anything, but I thought it was an interesting insight and and another challenge that women face when they're in these competitive environments, that that they're kind of held to a higher standard than men, that they have to be 100% empathetic.
0: I mean, the thing that I keep thinking about the post and I haven't seen it yet, and, and then we're again, we're recording this before New York Film Critics Circle announces, uh, so who knows what will happen with them. I don't expect it to win the New York Film Critics Circle. That's you usually critics groups because they're all voting in one room. They can kind of look at each other and come to a consensus. They'll go for something a little bit more indie or, you know, a phantom threat had one with them, I wouldn't be surprised. But I do start to wonder if we're all kind of running in circles for no reason, because the post has this locked up, like it just feels like it's hitting all of the right beats and people like it, like even the critics who might want to dislike it really like it. And that's really powerful.
1: Yeah, I, I think that I think you it may run into some stuff around, you know, is this the most meticulously assembled movie in history, but I don't know that that matters that much especially right now in this environment. And then it may, I could see it running into this kind of like, are we really going to celebrate the press right now when all these people are going down? Mm -hmm. But otherwise, it feels like a fastball down the middle for sort of liberal, I don't know, not revenge, but kind of like there's a better way to run our society and, and, and there are checks and balances and institutions matter, that type of thing. And it has a feminist, you know, real feminist message, and I just have a my gut is that you know it's not a year where you're going to see a Moonlight type upset because Call Me by Your Name, Lady Bird, Get Out are, are, are like I think I think They're the all post the, the post takes away the establishment slot from Dunkirk, and yeah. then the other three there's too much competition among those three. You can't yep. really rally a, a, a strong base around those is is my sense, but I I don't know I could be yeah. wrong. It's obviously very early.
0: On the, uh, the question of people wanting to rally around the press, which I think is a, a really fair point, especially in this Matt Lauer day, but I think all you need to fix that is one tweet from Trump calling somebody fake news or the Washington Post or, you know, he... I mean, well, there's he, been
1: two or three this morning, uh, so Exactly. And it,
0: remember, it was less than a year ago that Meryl Streep gave a speech and he tweeted against her. Like, it yeah. positions itself so strongly as reminding you of the, what the press can do that's right. I mean, you know, the Washington Post just had this expose of the guy who tried to bring, give them a fake accuser of Roy Moore. Like, there's amazing yeah. stories coming out from... the Post and also other news organizations every day that I don't know I feel like if you still want to ally yourself against Trump it's easy enough to put yourself with the press despite its many flaws
1: yeah it's it's very timely in the sense that the Washington Post and this is in part a movie about a newspaper war between The Washington Post and the New York Times and we're having one of those right now in the best possible way where they're both competing to expose stuff about um, a really you know screwy administration um, so and and I can imagine Trump, Uh, Tweeting about this movie, oh uh, yeah, which would which would help it a lot as well. He likes to attack Jeff Bezos, who runs the uh, the Washington Post. Um, He obviously loves to to call the New York Times fake news and all the rest of it.
0: Likes to try attack overrated Meryl Streep,
1: even though Hollywood has its own contentious relationship with the press. I think that that Hollywood and the press are are much more closely aligned than at this stage of the game, the press and the White House. Yes. Uh, and, and also Hollywood, you know, I don't know that Hollywood is going to be punishing the press for its sexual misconduct when Hollywood has arguably, you know, at le- certainly at least as big a problem with that. Yeah.
0: And Hollywood is also in this period of kind of self-flagellation of trying to, you know, figure out where we went wrong and how were these mistakes made and kind of uh, allowing the ex- exposure to happen. Like, you know, these New York Times stories keep coming exposing, you know, Harvey Weinstein or someone else. And there's there's not the act to kind of circle the wagons and cover things up the way that their might have been five years ago, and I think that benefits the, the spirit of something like the post where it's about like getting the truth at all costs.
1: Yeah. So we'll see. And by the way, I mean, even with Tom Hanks and, and Gary Oldman, I mean, yeah, I, I this is a much more accessible role. I'm sure that I, I, I believe that Gary Oldman's performance is more technical and it certainly is incredibly impressive and you know even just sitting through all the makeup and all the rest of it like that that's quite an accomplishment and actors you know are the majority of voters and so they will they will be able to assess through that lens like how much effort went into this how flawlessly is it done and and all the rest of it but as you and I kind of discovered when we sat in the sort of the wrong part of the theater at, at Toronto, like this can be a movie that's sort of hard to hear properly. <laughs> if you're American, it's hard to kind of like understand what everybody's saying. It's a lot of sort of ranting and raving in enclosed in, in spaces. By the way, this movie is a lot of arguing in enclosed spaces. The Post. Yeah, but 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 Tom Hanks is, is a very accessible admirable character, not, not a hundred percent, you know, he's got, he's got his, uh, excesses and flaws, but like, but not too many. And he really, you know, does something that I think a lot of voters are going to be wanting to see happen, which is he holds a powerful Republican president who is lying to the American public to count. Yeah. It depends on where people's heads are at. Are they looking just strictly at the technicalities of a performance? Not just technicalities, but like the pure performance, or are they looking at a bigger picture where they're trying to send a message with, with, this, uh, with this vote? So I, I'm really curious to see how that one turns out.
0: So I actually rewatched Darkest Hour when I got the screener of it uh, after that experience you were talking about where we were just sitting in this horrible corner of the theater and couldn't hear yeah. anything. And, you know, it was not an ideal viewing experience. I had to pause it a couple times and take care of my kid. But I it was like watching a completely different movie. Like, I oh, really? really liked it. I was so glad I looked at it again. And Gary Oldman's performance had sold me the first time, but it really it even sold me even more the second time around because it is so technical. But there's so much going on that's warm and engaging and feels like a human and not like someone trapped behind late. Uh, so I became a really big fan of Darkest Hour. Getting to watch it again, so if oh, you good. get a chance to, like, I definitely recommend it. I, I definitely f-
1: will. My my wife is a big, uh, you know, World War II buff. So, oh yeah. Uh, I, th- I think we will definitely watch it again. And and um and yeah, I don't want to disparage it just because we sat in the wrong part of the theater. Um, I mean, it's
0: definitely not as you know, if for an American audience, like, it's not as rousing or immediate as the events of Watergate.
1: Hmm. Hmm. But it it's it's an incredible moment. I mean, I mean, it does. I mean, just in the title alone, you're you're seeing. You know, Chris Hayes tweeted this morning. Is anyone else getting the bad feeling this morning? And obviously, Ooh. in comparison to, you know, there's this kind of like ugh, this dread that is hanging over uh, half at least of the republic right now, uh, and yet it's in in some ways for at least many people nothing compared to World War too so like to, so that is incredibly inspiring and truly relevant to watch people who are in like even more much more dire situations still kind of standing up and, and fighting back and all the rest of it so it's not like it's an irrelevant film at all oh there's, yeah there's plenty of relevancy there
0: and to see the leader of a country who has bad personal habits and eats poorly and you know doesn't necessarily speak well but <laughs> but does the right thing for the <laughs> republic as opposed yes, to other that's examples kind of a, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, one more thing on Tom Hanks and then maybe we can get into the other NBR nominees is that I I feel like I harp on this a lot, but he hasn't been nominated for an Oscar since Castaway, which is crazy because he's Tom Hanks, that is crazy. and you just expect that he has four Oscars already. So even though I am really rooting for Gary Oldman and I would be excited for him to finally win an Oscar, like I got a pull for Tom Hanks. I feel like he yeah. at this point is being underrated by the Oscars.
1: Yeah. Well, and it was Captain Phillips where everybody was like, "What? He didn't yeah. get, he didn't get nominated for that?" Especially with that incredible scene at the end where mm-hmm. he kind of finally breaks down and lets his emotions take over. Yeah. I certainly hope he gets nominated, and it would be fun to see um, you know, a a, a foot race between him and Gary Oldman. I mean, it could be it could be ugly <laughs> if people decide to start bringing cuz you know, uh you know, it 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 remains to be seen how much mud is going to get flung this season now that harvey's out of the picture and and all the rest of it but tom hanks's reputation as like the most benign human being alive yeah is going to give him an advantage over anybody else in the case of gary oldman there's some stuff in his background that is not super you know flattering or or great and so it would it will be interesting to see for sure
0: yeah, Rebecca actually was talking from the Governor's Awards when she went a few weeks ago about how Tom Hanks had kind of the similar Merrill effect you were talking about, where he was the mayor of the room and everyone wanted to be in his presence. And yeah. I think as more allegations keep coming out about people doing horrible things, Tom Hanks might be the top of the list of being like, please, God, just let Tom Hanks still be a good person. And so far, God knows, by the time this comes out, who knows what will happen. But so far, all evidence points to Tom Hanks still being a good person. And we, we have to treasure those these days. I mean,
1: can I just tell you a little anecdote about how cool Tom Hanks is? yeah. His, His daughter was an intern for uh, VF.com many years ago. And we have a softball team at Vanity Fair. And Liz played on the softball team. And this guy rolls up on a bicycle... And it's Tom Hanks watching our softball game against God knows who. I mean, we felt so cool against whatever. I can't remember what the opponent was. And then, he, you know, about the third inning, he, he like rode off ringing his bell just alone in the middle of Central Park. He's just like a cool dude and, and you know, the, the nicest guy in Hollywood. So he certainly has that going for him, although I guess it hasn't helped him with the Academy since Castaway.
0: Ugh, now's the time. Just looking back at the NBR real quick, I did want to mention Get Out, which had a really good week. It won a handful of Gotham awards, even though it didn't win the uh, the top prize. I went to call me by your name, and it won the uh, best ensemble and best directorial debut at the National Board of Review, which is again like they usually like to spread things out. The fact that it got two is really interesting. I also rewatched that this week. I saw it in theaters forever ago, and and it really holds up. It's really outstanding, and I just now on
1: HBO. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. everyone everyone can watch it. it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. It was already a huge hit, but I mean, I feel like I don't know that I would feel comfortable betting on it winning anything necessarily, except for screenplay, which I think is pretty possible. But I'm starting to now think like Jordan Peele as best director nom- nominee could really happen. There's a lot. It, there's a lot of exciting momentum, especially for a movie that came out almost a year ago.
1: Yeah. Well and it's a big hit you know and yeah. and and I guess we don't know if when the post comes out if anyone's going to go see it and and you know the Oscars do frequently like a hit and it is so well made and it's such a come from out of nowhere thing so yeah, I don't. I don't think it's. It, I think it's way too early to count out Get Out, despite what I said earlier. Um, <laughs> I, I do think it could. It could emerge as the you know one of two uh, major contenders. It could drown out stuff like Call Me by Your Name or, or or Lady Bird. But Call Me by Your Name also did pretty well this week.
0: Yeah, yeah. Call Me by Your Name won the top prize at the Gotham's. Timothy Chalamet got the breakthrough performance award at the uh, NBR. I think we can probably expect a lot of critics' prizes for it. I, I think it's. I, it's hard to say like that and Ladybird seem to be duking it out as like the critical favorite of the year. So maybe well, after a week or two when we have a lot of critics awards, we'll see which one of them emerges victorious.
1: Well, and didn't Ladybird just break a record on Rotten Tomatoes for the best reviewed movie of all time or something?
0: Yeah, yeah, like with the most reviews with the most it has 100%, a 100%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I yeah. I hate those records, but that's I
1: know it's moronic, but anyway, but but, but Ladybird
0: is also doing incredible box office as is Call Me yes. By Your Name. Like both of them, I yeah. think Ladybird is uh, out a little bit wider than Call Me By Your Name, but both of them are just like really tearing it up and, and in this dismal year for Hollywood, I think you have like the Dunkirk's and the get outs and maybe the post. And then you have these tinier movies that are making money, like anything making money, I think is a good sign for this industry. Yeah. So in a little bit, we're going to share an interview uh, that Richard did with Richard Jenkins, the star of The Shape of Water. So just in case you thought it was just going to be me and Mike, we brought Richard in as backup. Uh, He has not gone so far. Richard Jenkins is part of this really large ensemble in Guillermo del Toro's film. It stars Sally Hawkins and Doug Jones, who is Guillermo's kind of go-to creature guy as a sea creature. Uh, And I don't know if you need to explain the plot of the movie too much more because it's kind of nice to discover itself. Uh, But it's also out in theaters this week. It had a really acclaimed festival season run. So it's going to try and be yet Another big indie art house hit this December. Uh, Mike, how are you feeling on Shape of Water these days?
1: Well, I think that this is a really beautifully done film. The effects in it are understated, but really dazzling. A lot of really great performances. Uh, Richard Jenkins is is one of the best ones, but there are there are a bunch. I mean, Michael Shannon also really incredible. He's 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 peak Michael Shannon in this film, and Sally Hawkins obviously has a lot of you know best actress buzz. There was there was a time when people were saying Sally Hawkins just like end it now. She she gets it, and she's doing. it There's a degree of difficulty because she's a she's she's a mute in the film. She doesn't speak in the film, and then Octavia Spencer is in there. Uh, all kinds of all kinds of great stuff Michael Stuhlbarg who's in- also having a hell of a year
0: yeah he's in the post and call me by your name he's really running the table
1: so it's really worth seeing. It's a totally, uh, you know, strange love story, and so, and I know Richard was Richard was totally taken with it from the first time he saw it, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah, he was a he was a big fan of it when he saw it at Telluride, and a couple of days after that, it won the top prize at the Venice Film Festival. So it was kind of the first big festival hit that emerged in this fall season, and it feels like it's quieted down a little bit as more films have been debuting. But you know, the theatrical release is a good time for that buzz to pick back up because it's hard to be kind of the the favorite in September and still be the favorite in early December. And and
1: just Rick, Richard Jenkins in general, what a great actor with so many incredible roles through the years and he is really just a blast to watch in this film. He plays uh Sally Hawkins's um sort of uh, Flamboyant for the era because it takes place in like early 60s and he's an artist and for like advertising who still likes to do illustrations at a time when everything's moving to photography and he has a crush on the guy who works at the pie shop. And anyway, it's just like a really fun role and it's always just fun to watch Richard Jenkins uh, stretch himself and use the many, many talents that he has.
2: Well, I have the pleasure of sitting across the table from Richard Jenkins, the great Richard Jenkins. Ah, excuse yeah. me, yeah. Please. <laughs> I was on your Wikipedia just kind of looking back at your, your earlier work, and I didn't realize that you were so involved with Trinity Rep. I mean, you were, in fact, artistic director. I was for yeah. four years, yeah. Okay, yeah. I've spent a lot of my family in Rhode Island, and, and, and so really? the Trinity has sort kind of loomed large in my, my theater knowledge for a long time, so oh. it was just a funny
3: connection, yeah. Yeah, I was an actor there for 14 yeah. seasons, and... Uh... I directed while I was an actor and then I took it over for 4 years.
2: And you were doing some <clears throat> film and television stuff while you were also there? I was, not as much, but I was right. doing stuff, yeah. Right. Yeah, because I mean you, you when when you come up in in, you know, when when you're in a movie or when people talk about your career, I feel like you know, you've you've been in a lot, you you've been around a, a long time, but some might say that you got your big big break kind of later in your career, let's say, Absolutely. Um, 10 years ago with The, the Visitor. Mm-hmm. So on this podcast, we talk a little bit about, um, or a lot about like award season and what that what that kind of means for the industry or a career in general. So I'm just kind of curious if, if we could go back to that that time. Is that something where you feel that change happening kind of near immediately? Or is it more just looking back that you see what a difference it made? Or how do
3: you reflect on that time? Uh, I You know, I... <laughs> there are about four or five points in my life as an actor that I look back and say oh that changed things Mm -hmm. that whether it was a play or whether it was a uh, and uh, The Visitor was the big change and I did feel it immediately yeah Yeah. Um, I think Jamie Cromwell actually said to me he said after you're nominated when you say something they pay attention to <laughs> you know, the, the day right. before they would just blow it off. But, right. uh, but yeah, no, I, I felt that um,
2: immediately. And while you were making the, that film, um, which is really great and people should seek it out if they haven't seen it. Did you feel that during the, that process or was it only after?
3: No, you know, it was, it was only after because yeah. it's the first time I'd had a lead in a movie. And I remember going to Toronto and sitting in the audience and it occur it occurred to me that if this movie doesn't work, it's my fault. Right and um, no pressure. Yeah, I mean that that's so. That's the first time I felt that. Yeah. Um, but I, it, you'd make yourself crazy if you started thinking like that as you work. You just you do your work and uh, you try to live your life on the screen and see what happens. Yeah, and so after that, that whole
2: sort of phenomenon and the nomination and all that stuff happened, and and there you you felt a difference. You know, people were I don't know picking up the phone or whatever. Is that something that you really had to con- like consciously steward
3: and, and keep that
2: momentum going, or do, or is there a how does that work?
3: Well, I mean, I think of you. If I, I'm not smart enough to do that. I mean, I you just right. you kind of you are who you are, yeah. and um, uh, you you read scripts and you say, uh, you know, I identify with this. I I think I could bring something to this. This one, I, I don't I don't think, it, and nothing changes that way. But you do get things sent to you. It might not have been sent before. It's weird. It happened with Flirting with Disaster. I could tell Mm a little something was in the air. It was different. And then you kind of go along, and nothing really changes. And then something like The Visitor comes along, and then you go along for a while with that, and then Olive Kitteridge comes along. So it's all of these... You know, you look back on it. I'm 70 years old, and I look back on my life, and it's like just a bunch of dumb accidents that happened. If I hadn't accepted that play, if I'd said no to this movie or yes to that, I mean, it's a million things, and um, I, it's just dumb luck. A lot of it. And I guess you just have to kind of trust your the way that you react to those accidents, or or, or bounce off of them, or you know. yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Tom McCarthy called me up and said, "I want you to." Do this part I wrote for you. And I read it and I was like, and I said to my wife, I said, well, you, you got to read this because you have to tell me it's as good as I think it is. And then he called me back and he said, do you want to do it? And I said, Tom, nobody will give you the money to do this movie with me in this part. Right. And he said, That's, that wasn't my question. <laughs> you know, you let me worry about that. Do you want to do wow. this? And uh, I said, absolutely. So we were on the streets of New York. He said, I wanted somebody who could walk down the streets of New York and people wouldn't stop. And, and as soon as he said that, some guy went, Hey, I know you.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> what what do you get, Hey, I know you most about? Is its is it six feet under? Is it? Eh, it
3: depends on the age. Yeah. Stepbrothers, if it's young oh, guys. Oh, sure, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. 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 I get a yeah. lot of
2: six feet under um, yeah. the visitor. Yeah. Um, I mean, because uh, stepbrothers, that's a huge cult. Yeah. People. Oh, really yeah. are into that movie. Yeah. I mean, for good reason. It's it's wonderful. I get Dr. Dobak a lot.
3: Hey, Dobak. No, no. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Has there been any opportunity, let's say in the last 10-ish years, uh, that's come along that's really surprised you? Uh, or, 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 sort of scared you
3: maybe, like something you were. Olive Kitteridge surprised me. Yeah, I, I, this just kind. Of, Fran called me up. Uh, Fran Mac, Francis McDormand, and said, "Why don't you play Henry?" You know, that's how these things happen. You know, I've known Fran forever. Yeah, uh, I've done four movies with her. We didn't have a lot to do with each other, but we just knew each other. I did. I've done Coen Brothers movies. Yeah, and um, that surprised me. That just kind of came out of nowhere. I was reading the book at the time, as she calls. So.
2: Or just coincidentally? Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. wow. My wife said, you got to read this book. So, I was reading it. So, that and was she, kismet, she, yeah. one could say. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that's the one that I remember. Yeah.
2: Well, the, the new film um, and what you're here to, <clears throat> really to talk about is Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, which I, you are... For for the purposes of awards or whatever, you're a supporting character, but you're really you know right there at the front with Sally Hawkins and this wonderful monster, um, and 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 Michael Shannon also mm-hmm. another wonderful monster. It's a movie I saw in Telluride, mm-hmm. um, and really c- connected with quite uh, quite a lot and. Especially your role and and your performance. Um, So I'm really happy that we can talk about that. So could you just kind of go back and tell us like how you came onto the project or.
3: Another surprise. Yeah. I got an email from Guillermo who I'd never met and said, I want you to play Giles. Read the script. Tell me if you love it as much as I do. And I read it that night and emailed him the next day and said, I, I think I do. Yeah. And that was it. When someone says, I wrote this for you. Well, he didn't really write oh, this for didn't. me. Oh, he didn't, okay. I, I think he wrote it for Ian McKellen, I think. Oh. <laughs> but right. he wrote Sally, he wrote it for Michael, right. he wrote it for Octavia. Right. Me, he didn't
2: write it for me. But okay, even if someone sense, someone says, I want you to read this, and I, I, see, I see you in this yeah, role. Is right. there anything... Please help me out. Right. Please help me out. What <laughs> does that feel like? I mean, because, I mean, you know how sometimes someone says... Um, Oh, you remind me of this person, and then you look up that person. and You're like, am I? Do I look
3: like that? You know, well, is there ever that feeling? Well, um, yeah, there is that feeling. Sometimes people offer you a role, and you say, what, what, what do they think? Who, what? Right. I don't see me doing this, but I did get this guy. I mean, I it, something spoke. It's what it is. You read it, and something speaks to you, and you think, yeah. I, I, I have something to offer here. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what Giles did that I I mean, immediately, I thought he'd written it for me. (laughs) We'll just say he did. Okay. We'll edit that out, Jordan.
2: Now, what, can you articulate at all what you saw in it that you said, I I get this or I can play this?
3: He was a man alone. Mm -hmm. He was, had his own world he lived in. He wasn't, that character wasn't there just to move the plot along. He was part of the story and he was kind of self-involved in that. You know he, he was kind of hitting the wall in two, three or four areas of his life, and he was an older man. And I got it. I'm an only child. I grew up alone a lot. Spent a lot of time alone. Mm-hmm. Um, my father was an only child, and I used to, I would say, Dad, I'm bored, and he would say, Go watch the ants. So I go outside and watch ants for for hours. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this was yeah. my life. Right. Um, so I understand being alone. I, I understand not liking it. Wishing for something else. And so it spoke to me
2: and 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 he's a creative he's a he's a he 's a dreamer he 's sort of a do you think that 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 sort of solitary that that aloneness either in the character or in your own life
3: it informs a kind of creative spirit or I think so yeah, it does you spend a lot of time uh daydreaming yeah um, i don 't know if that's good or bad, but it's what what i did and uh, I think Giles does too i mean his fantasy about this guy at the pie shop is um I mean, he's just grabbing onto anything yeah. any hook that spells possibility of a relationship and uh, you know it's just it's, and he doesn't know the guy at all as it's, it turns out yeah i mean like, the, you know he just he, i mean it's just he's living in a this is just a dream is what it is <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's pathetic yeah but it's very it's i think it's heartbreaking because it's It shows the need for human contact, and he and he has someone right next door to him Mm -hmm. that that loves him and understands him, and he doesn't get it until the about two thirds through the movie, and that's what I love about this character. I mean, somebody who finally wakes up and says, "Oh my God, here's here's my real friend." Right? You had companionship. I I did. Yes.
2: Now, that kind of, you know, the, you said pathetic, and I know exactly what you mean by that. It's a, a sympathetic pathetic, let's say. Uh,
3: well, we, we've all done that. Exactly, uh, yeah. I mean, we've all had uh, fantasies in our heads about, you know, if uh, this person, you know, if, if I just did. I, grew, I, I, I was in love with Haley Mills when I used to go to the movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. And I, <laughs> I was, I don't know all I was, but if I could go to England and be her gardener. Right. I think she would see me, and you know, this is what I would think. I mean, this is <laughs> yeah. time alone, you know. It's not too far from the pie shop guy, you know.
2: Right. Yeah, we can We can, We can. can pretty quickly kind of lose ourselves and convince ourselves with these sort of fantasies that have no grounding None. None. in reality. None. Um, but the character is, you know, or your performance really is grounded in something. And I think that what I really love about it so much is that it's... It's it it shows that pathetic side, but it has a deep humanity to it. Is it hard to play this kind of love lorn loser without making him a joke? I mean, or how do you how do you calibrate that as well as you do?
3: You know, I guess pathetic is a word. I when I hear the word back at me, I think that's really not Giles. You know, I I started it, so but but you know. I try not to make fun of him or, or to make him a a loser or pathetic. Or I try to make him an artist who's happens to be in love. And, um, you know, it's funny when I see the movie. I think I see him almost differently than I played him. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which yeah. happens a yeah. lot.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's an artist who's lonely because of circumstances of his own personal life. But he's also lonely because of the circumstances of when he is alive and, yeah. and because he's gay. And <laughs> yeah. and I'm curious with that, like playing gay characters can be for, for straight actors can be tricky because you know, they're, they're one little misstep and it's over into camp or whatever, which then mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with camp, but right. so it doesn't always, it's not always what the role is, uh, calls for. Is there any, how do you approach that aspect of a, of a character? Cause you've done it before in, in flirting
3: with disaster, right? It's mean, yes, just, yes, yes. it's a man who's was gay yeah. as opposed to a gay man, I guess. is I, Right. I, I just, it's just a man who, lives his life and is gay you know love is love and that's how i kind of ap- approach it and i don't think it's my prerogative to like this is what i think a gay man acts like mm-hmm. i mean i just don't think that's that's something i i i have the I'm, i want to say almost i don't have the right to right. uh to uh, comment on that that's not the world you know i mean that that's not up to me yeah so i just try to play a man in love
2: yeah, and and it's it's quite effective. I mean, it really um, it felt very true, which is is oh, hard to, hard to come by. I good. think,
3: you know. So so we're
2: talking about all this interior emotional stuff, but this is also a big Guillermo del Toro monster movie. What was your experience of working with him? Because he's another big dreamer. He's he's like nobody else. He's kind of
3: like Mike Nichols. In many. Oh, really? Yeah, it's one of these guys that. They don't really repeat themselves. They just have really a lot of interesting things to talk about. I used to go up to Guillermo and ask him about things that I wondered if he thought about, how many movies he'd seen, what he'd seen. I mean, he got, the guy is just, it's endless what he's done and seen. We were flying from Venice to Colorado, and he slept half the time and read a book. I said, Would you, you started a book? He said, no, I read it. I <laughs> <He> was like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, he's just a really interesting dude. Yeah.
2: And 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 what what kind of energy was it like when you're on set like with, with obviously he's coaxing really good performances out of his actors but in certain scenes there are some technical things to be considered or so how does that all kind of shake out
3: Never felt like day? it got in the way. I yeah. never felt like I had to play second fiddle to a light. I mean you just did your work. I, he's it's a great atmosphere on the set and he's tireless. He's the only god, he's tireless. He just never gets tired. But it, it was fun. It all starts from the director. What the set is like. I love a relaxed set. It was a relaxed set, except you know he has a world he's building, and and within that you're free to find your way through it and find out and and kind of bring Giles to him. This is what this is what I, I think of Giles. But if you get outside that world, then he'll push you back in and say that's that's you know. So um, I loved working with him. Yeah, yeah. He, he watches. Some directors don't watch. They look for specific things. Guillermo watches. I
2: think it would be key to this movie in particular that that it's a, it's a relaxed set that there is this kind of that he's that he's paying attention, because you also have this relationship with Sally Hawkins's character, and she does not really speak. I mean, she communicates. Mm-hmm. But you know, you have to do this kind of pas de deux that is trickier than some, you know, really talky scenes that you might have in another another piece. So how, how did you work with Sally on, on kind of establishing that communication? That's half wordless?
3: Well, we 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 became friends first. Yeah, which I think is the most important part of the relationship. I love her. I just adore her. And I said to her once, I said, "You're my friend now, and there's nothing you can do about it." So <laughs> uh, I just love her, and um, it was easy. It wasn't hard. She's awfully easy. She makes it easy, you yeah. know. Um, and the scene where I translate what she says is such a tricky deal to do because it it can look like a device. Mm-hmm. You know, why would you translate? Someone signing, if you can understand signing, it doesn't work that way. You don't say it out loud. But um Guillermo got around it and not not got around it. But what he said was she wanted to know I understood perfectly what she was saying. So I had to repeat it back to her, not kind of understand it. Every single word I had to understand. So I think that's that was really a smart way to deal with that. And um, when we rehearsed, we rehearsed that scene, the two of us alone, probably 30, 40 times. And uh, it was different every time. And then when we shot it, it was different than we'd rehearsed it. We just kind of hung out in a room and just did that scene and because that's where we really were like this. And um, then when we, sh- when we shot it, a lot of things happened that didn't happen in rehearsal. So it was really interesting.
2: Is that is that is that common that that when 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 they call action or whatever it something else sparks in it that you, hopefully
3: yeah hopefully yeah I guess that's how it should work. right? It is I mean I think it is I, yeah. I think you can't if you if you make a decision about how you're going to do something this is what I'm going to do it's dead it dies right there because right. You, you don't see what's around you you don't you, you because you you've made your mind up and um, it, it is a killer I think um, yeah. so you try to kind of live your life there on the screen and see what happens. Yeah. I um, guess I do remember a little bit of that feeling
2: from like my college theater days where, you know, well, once there's an audience and the lights were on, it was a different experience. It is. Yeah.
3: And and if when you hit the groove and, and you're, it's it becomes really easy and you think, oh, I want this more and more. How do you do this? This is great. Yeah, and You don't seem to be working. Yeah.
2: So is theater something that you kind of continue to draw back on, or like uh, how does that work in
3: in balancing that career stuff? I direct in the theater, not I don't, don't do much anymore. My wife's a choreographer, and we do musicals together. We co- oh, co-direct really? and she choreographs. Yeah, where, do you, where at Trinity Rep? Oh, at Trinity. Yeah. Still? Okay, mm-hmm. wow. We did uh, Oliver and we did Oklahoma. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. What
2: Be- what do you get out of directing something like that that you you know that is different from you know your work on in acting. Well,
3: it, it I love working with her because yeah. we what we do is we start reading a script and we'll talk about it for 6 months before we start rehearsing and all through the rehearsals we're, we it's all we talk about is, is problem solving conceptualizing what do we do about this how do we do this number where does this come from and i just find it really cool we yeah. both enjoy it we both love it because she's really she's a real problem solver too and we, we like to look at something and go how do we get these kids in bed now where, where do they sleep if we don't have real beds where do these kids sleep right. and you know she said why don't they sleep under the rug pull the rug You know, I mean it's like yeah, Fun stuff like that That invention Yeah, 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 yeah. I love yeah. it In Oklahoma, we did it with no scenery Oh, wow And, um, you know, how do we do this? That's cool So as we, um, mm-hmm. you know, we head
2: into Or head towards Shape of Water's release And, you know, it was always at, at all these festivals What has that kind of ride been like already? I mean, w- the reactions have been effusive I mean, it won the top prize at Venice Which is thrilling and uh, well-deserved How do you kind of process all that kind
3: of stuff? Is that... Um, well, you try not to get too excited about the whole thing but i love this movie Mm -hmm. i mean i really love this movie and i saw it in a in an editing room before it was completed and i i forgot i was in it yeah i just loved it and every time i i've seen it five times wow and i love it every time i see it and you know i hope people respond to it and go to it because it's not finished until somebody watches it i Mm -hmm. mean that's that's and i think it's guillermo's most personal movie it's the one he took a big risk with as he kept saying to me as we were shooting do you think it'll work you think this will work (laughs) i don't know (laughs) and by the time he got to the 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 big dance number he said well they're either going to be throwing stuff or it's going to connect and i think that's that's a great way to look at your yeah. l- work because if you're not taking a chance you're, and it's very personal so i hope they come see it because uh, it's just i'd love this film
2: well I, I i i share your sentiment i hope people see it um you're uh, you know wonderful in it and, and i wish you luck with all this i don't know how much you care about all this award stuff but uh well you know i mean there's nothing one can do about it icing but, on the cake I would but it is and yeah.
3: it, the thing is this film i really love promoting it because it i could. think i just think it's great yeah.
2: Well, all right. Everyone go see it. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for doing this. Thank really you. appreciate it. Thanks. Appreciate it.
0: So that does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thanks for listening. Uh, Joanna and Richard will be joining us again next week. Do not fret. And in the meantime, you can find us all at VanityFair.com, writing about awards and movies and all kinds of other things. Uh, we're all on Twitter at Little Gold Men. And on our own, I'm at Katie Rich. And Mike?
1: I'm Mike Hogan with an underscore in the middle that I'm sick of saying but it's true <laughs> what can I do about it
0: this episode was edited and produced by Jordan Bell and thanks to Andy Bowers at Panoply and this week's award for what we say about Richard Lawson when he's not here goes to Mike Hogan
1: he's just like a cool dude and and you know the the, the nicest guy in Hollywood